But now we are. Hello. Hi. It's the needle in the mouse. We're back. It's been months. We did do one this year. Well, there was one that we recorded that we didn't publish. When I was extremely high, which is legal because we live in California. Yeah, by the way, (laughs) let's reintroduce ourselves along with Lauren Sherman. I'm Dan Fromer, and this is The Needle in the Mouse, the fashion of technology and the technology of fashion, where we talk about whatever we want. (laughs) And about 15 people listen. At some point, we had like several thousand people listening. It was like 1,500. That's not bad, right? That was our peak. We had advertisers at one point. We had one advertiser. (laughs) Wasn't it Squarespace, though? Yes, it was. (sighs) The peak. Uh, Anyway, this is our show. Uh, We're back at the kitchen table in a new state in California, in Los Angeles. I don't remember what... The context was for our last show, and it's probably better if I don't look, but it was... I think it was during the pandemic when we were like, we'll do it every two weeks. Probably. It was probably in April when we were at peak um, puzzle, and let me actually just look while Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, so we don't talk about the same thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was um, April 19th, and we talked about, oh, early impressions of the Aura Ring, thoughts oh. on e-commerce discounting, and post-COVID design and aesthetics. We probably should have listened to this before. Well, I, w- I don't want to listen to it, but I no, wouldn't mind following up on the Aura Ring since I've used one since then. True, true. I don't um, own one. I tested one. At any rate, it's uh, early January 2021 currently. And, oh, we actually did two Oh, we did another shows. one. Whoa. What was the other one about? Our favorite newsletters and podcasts, the live streaming revolution, and the future of restaurants. What's the What was the live streaming revolution about? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're not. I'm not high. Neither am I. Okay. <laughs> That's a, a necessary disclaimer. Anyway, we did tape a show uh, in September. Yeah, about grocery stores, about, which we can talk about again. We'll talk about it sometime, but... It was, it's on uh, the list for this one. So. It, was a, it was like half an hour of us talking about grocery stores with no real... Um, <laughs> no, it was very good, but it it went. <laughs> I went a little bit too... There wasn't much of a point to it. I thought that it was, there was a, a great point to it. It was well done. It just, we, we went a little too overboard. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I think it's... A, the, the grocery store ecosystem in Los Angeles is super interesting. Yeah. And I think it's worth talking about. I, we will talk about it. But it, it was just sprawling because... We were missing a topic sentence. I do also think... No, that, I mean, that was not the issue. The issue was we structured it well also, but we just like went too far. As the person who had not taken an edible, I will say that it was missing a topic <laughs> sentence. Anyway, we should probably talk about edibles a little bit because you have tried different ones since sure. you've gotten here. Let's, I'll talk about anything you want. You're, have you have list. the list. I have a list. Lauren a has the list. A couple of the things I wanted to talk about are a little outdated because I thought we would do this over the holidays, but I think that we can update them to be appropriate. Perfect. The first thing I wanted to talk about I have here is DHL, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think we should talk about because... Can, I just think that can be a 30 second topic. I just think DHL is great. It is really good. We, like many of you, have been ordering, you know, basically everything that we consume comes in a box delivered by one of four package carriers five post office, UPS, FedEx, Amazon proprietary, which is actually really good, and then DHL, by far the winner. Yeah. And, I, I tweeted about this, and there were people who complained about DHL. I'm not going to complain about any of them. I've had issues with one of these carriers in particular. Definitely can't can't complain about it because it's un-American to complain about it. Truly. But, you know, some people leave packages that require signatures and lie and say There's that they had a signature and they commit a federal crime, but because they are a, a branch of the U.S. government, nothing happens. <laughs> and I just send like all these emails with evidence. 
Anyway. <laughs> including a video of our hallway showing that no one came down at that time to sign it. Yeah. Which means nothing. I'm never going to get my money back. It's fine. Point being that I, everywhere we've lived, DHL has been really great. It's awesome. Like, I mean, I did have a package from DHL stolen, and they knew that they left it because the um, sender had approved via text that mm. they could leave with no signature. Therefore, the sender had to send me a new one, and they Amazing. were super nice about it. But DHL's just like on it. You call them, and someone answers. It. You don't yeah. have to wait two hours or whatever. It's just a very well done. Well, uh, anyone, I'm sure there are no fashion people. But they're listening to this. But there was one called WorldNet, which I don't know if it still exists. But that's what no all idea. like the fashion industry to ship samples of clothes across. They were all obsessed and loved that. Obviously, mm. I've never used WorldNet, but I just think DHL is great. Everything comes in like two days. You order something from Europe, it's here. Quicker yeah, than I've been uh, ordering clothing, especially from Europe, because it's often less expensive, minus the VAT than it is, especially if something's on sale and there were a lot of free shipping promotions over the holidays. And stuff would come from Europe faster than it would come from LA the East Coast. Or, or even, even local, yeah. yeah. Stuff would come from Japan like next day. It was wild. Yeah. Um, anyway, love love DHL. That was four minutes. Do you want, <laughs> do you want to quickly explain why we moved to LA? Do, is there a good reason? <laughs> No, we just wanted to. We wanted to. We moved to L.A. in July and have been here almost six months now. Yeah. Uh, in a week, it will be six months. That's crazy. And um, now we're people who like know how to drive and have a car and run errands in a car. It's very weird. Driving is weird. <laughs> Both first-time drivers here. I know that you're not high, but you do sound a little high. This is just my natural... Los Angeles vibe now. I think one thing we it's did a contact we, So we got here July 17th. We I got my permit August 10th or something. We really? both got our licenses oh. like in the middle of October. Mm -hmm. And we got a car in October. Yeah. October 23rd, we took a weekend trip two and a half hours away and we drove ourselves, which we drove ourselves a weekend was crazy. Having a car. But yeah. it, the one thing we, we were going to, if we did a podcast, you know, six weeks earlier, we were going to talk about was the choosing a car thing yeah, and how cars are like shoes. They're, cars are essentially like designer shoes in that they are basically all the same thing and they're made by just a few manufacturers. But the biggest difference is the logo. So like if you go to a fancy store like Bergdorf, Dorf Goodman or what still exists, um, Neiman Marcus or Saks Fifth Avenue or whatever, you go to the, the high-end shoe floor. Usually they have like a kind of expensive and then a really expensive shoe floor. You look at all the shoes. They'll basically all be the same last, like all the same style, the mm -hmm. same heel, whatever season. But you end up, a lot of people just end up buying the brand that they either trust the most or that maybe the clothes that are on that brand's runway relate most to their personal style, but the shoes are all basically the same. Like there was this really great Valentino Mary Jane. I think I still have it. It's called the Tango and it's, it has like a chunky square heel and they came out with that and it was super popular. I think I bought it probably in 2013 or 14 or something. And then every single brand had that exact same shoe with the same heel hmm. and I don't think most people could tell the difference. And that's what cars remind me of. Like cars used to all be different styles and look different and different shapes. Very visually distinct. And my, our good friend Hannah Elliott is the autos reporter at Bloomberg. And she also moved out to Los Angeles during this time. And we went for a drive once, masks on. And she was saying that like regulations slash consolidation in that industry has just made them all look exactly the same. And now as much as I think we both would be really into kind of a car from the late eighties or even early eighties, like a Volvo or a Mercedes from that era, you had dreamt a year ago that we moved here and bought a Saab. Yeah, that was my <laughs> which dream. I didn't even know that they didn't make Saabs anymore, but you I know, didn't know that either. I would have liked something like that, but 
it's just the cars now are so much nicer and safer. But we did buy a Volvo. And I, yeah. to be honest, like the Volvo and the Audi and the BMW of the like tiny, what's what we have is a crossover. It's like a midsize SUV crossover so type thing. They all kind of look the same. They literally look the but same. But I was like, uh, I just think the Volvo is right for our personal brand as a family. It's, it has become a game of which brand represents you as a person. And the color, too. Color, color matters. We thought color about matters. getting black, and then my aunt was like, you're going to look like an Uber driver, and I couldn't get it out of my head. And yeah. so we didn't get black. We got denim blue, which is... Very nice. We leased it, so it's like per it's very trendy, but not ugly. It's like a color that we would both wear clothing yeah. of. I, f I would feel comfortable having that color car indefinitely, I think. I, mean, I don't know. My parents had, feel. my dad had a cappuccino Ooh, Honda. that sounds really nice. And my mom ha always had like maroon yeah, Toyotas. As you know, maroon is not Subaru. my thing. But no. I would be into like a taupe colored car or something because yeah. I'm so into taupe. We saw a taupe Tesla in a parking lot. Remember that? That wasn't, a, that wasn't taupe. Oh, that, that was, was cream. Like cream. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it was a really pretty color. And yeah. I don't like the way Teslas look. But well, so this is the main thing. So you say all the cars look the same. Except for Teslas. Same. This is where things are going now is that now we have this branch of electric cars that are basically computers on wheels. And that's where they don't... Well, Teslas do look fairly different relative to other cars. I, think they I mean, do. like the model, whatever the cheap one is, I think the Model 3, like... Mm -hmm. You know it's a Tesla. I'm sure other cars will look more like that soon. Yeah. But if you are really drunk, you wouldn't know that it's a... I mean, you might squint and say, oh, it's just like a sedan. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because now I look at cars and, yeah. and try to figure out what they are. And <laughs> I was just on a highway. Yeah. And I, I took the five and the two today. Excellent. I did, I did fine. Um, but this Tesla got in front of me in another really nice color. Like a slate, slate gray. Oh, wow. Like almost like our denim blue, but more yeah. gray. Hmm. I was like, well, at least Tesla's doing interesting colors. I don't love the way those cars look. And I we didn't get one for a couple reasons. Several reasons. Um, but one was that they seem to be too fast and they have like a very fast uh, the acceleration. And I don't want that. There are a lot of reasons we didn't get one. But I would say the main one was that we decided that we're not... We don't want to be Tesla people. Yeah, I don't want to be associated with a Tesla. And it's, which is, which was weird to me because I always assumed, oh, we're definitely going to get Tesla because it's the most technologically advanced car. And it might be, but that's not enough at this point to justify Looking like everything else that it comes with, including if we wanted the Tesla SUV. Not only was it way more money than we have, but yeah. it has those silly doors that sh that rise up like back to the future oh, yeah. wings and like even though we've, i don't know if do they do that for the front door too or only the back anyway we've never opened them really, really no. for the back doors of our car um <laughs> we might as well rent that i thought we would get one too because it, like i just wasn't thinking about it and then yeah we started to look, and I was like, I don't feel comfortable with this on a lot of different levels and we had i mean i don't know about you but i had assumed even five years ago, that even by the time I need a car for whatever reason, you know, we were living in New York, we didn't really need a car. Um, although now we're like, oh, it would have been so nice to have it a car. It would have been in New York. so nice, yeah. Um, by the time we need one, they'll be self driving, and Tesla will probably be the first one to be like super self driving. And so naturally, we would get that. Here we are, 2020, not so, oh shit, 2021, yeah. nothing is really self driving yet. Nothing like the electric cars, the range is okay, but not great. Like we would not have been able to drive to Big Sur in one day, I don't think, with a Tesla um, without stopping for charging. And I yeah. guess we, you know, we did stop to like pee and we bought but gas where, ones. But I guess it, we did stop <laughs> in Santa Barbara. They would have a Tesla because there's like yeah. a lot of rich people there. Yeah. Anyway. So our, some of our thinking was, you know what? We're leasing a car. It's going to be three years. We're going to know in three years, do we like, do we like this style of car? Do we need yeah. a bigger car, a smaller car? Do we want... Will, will batteries have a step function improvement in the next three years that will make electric more... Uh, like a, you know, will, will, it, will it dramatically improve range to the point where we could go on a long road trip and not have to worry about charging 
until every night, all these questions. And what we wound up realizing was, A, we don't need a Tesla or want one. And B, hopefully in three years, by the time our lease is up, some of these questions will be more definitively answered, like especially the self-driving stuff. And if not, maybe it doesn't matter. And in the meantime, here we are paying for premium gas like like chumps. But we like our car. It's very nice. I know. I like it. CarPlay is an amazing invention when it works, which is 92% of the time. Yeah. And um, I'm very happy with it. Me too. And I'm glad we learned. It is pretty fun. Yeah. It's kind of weird. So so much grown-up stuff happens. So much grown-up stuff, like opening the sunroof. You're like, whoa, I have a a sunroof for the first time in my life. What was I thinking life was like before I had a sunroof? I didn't, I don't quite understand when the sunroof comes in handy yet, but. I don't really either. We did try to use it once, right? I, I used it today, but it's like, <laughs> I don't I think, really need this. I don't know. I, I think don't if know. you want fresh air or something. Yeah, it was nice to like vent the air a little bit and I yeah. left it open while it was parked. So that vented the car a little bit. That's nice. No one, I don't think it, I don't think people jump on top of the car and break in via the sunroof mm. while you're in the grocery store. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't think so. But it's not like you were going in. Oh, you went to cookbook, so it probably yeah. was. Anyway. Well, speaking of grocery stores. So that's us now. Now we're yeah. people who talk about cars. Sorry. So, speaking of grocery stores, you went to cookbook today. I did go to cookbook. And so I want to talk about the grocery store experience a bit and talk about how much you've written about it a lot this year. And also... I mean, we're not having that many grocery store experiences right now because in L.A. in particular, it's the virus is really bad. The second strain or whatever that's going to even worse in terms of. Yeah. The UK so strain. we're not going anywhere. Yeah. And there's a new U.S. strain. Oh, great. I didn't know about like that. Something like that. Um, yeah. But so there is one grocery store that we still go to a couple times a week. It's called yes. Cookbook. It only lets two people in at a time. And it's very, I feel very safe in there. I'm not super worried, but. Same. And I don't, I really try not to. You mostly do it. Not that that would help either of us since we spend all of our time together. And if you got it, I would probably get it. But anyway, you wrote a lot about the grocery store experience. The LA grocery store ecosystem is very unique, I would say. Yes. And, And this is where in our last podcast, we went on for like 45 minutes. We don't need to do that this time. But it is unique. There is Erwan, which is this like now global brand of wealth and health and like very far left, cute almost like I bet a lot of QAnon people shop at Erwan, that kind of thing. It's you like, think so? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because that like far left yeah. that's anti-vax and all that that live in like mm-hmm. Malibu. Yeah. They're all up in Erwan. And yeah. yeah. But it's like super health food driven and is to me like the Dover Street market of health food stores. So you go there to discover Yeah, it's new Whole things. Foods squared. And it's smaller. Oh, yeah. But it has crazy shit. Like we've the craziest just shit, yeah. bought. I mean, we would never bought the. It, didn't they have camel colostrum ice cream or something? Well, it's cow colostrum ice cream, but camel milk is available in the frozen section. Yeah. And more places are now selling the camel milk. So like yeah. a lot of stuff that you would only see at Erewhon now. There's another place here called Lassen's, which if you live in New York, we were talking about this the other day. If you live in Brooklyn, there's a place in Brooklyn Heights called Perlandra, Perlandra, and it's very similar to Lassen's. Lassen's is a chain, so it's a little glossier, but they have similar stuff. It's like health food and health more health foody than whole foods but is still like they have they it's have the more Subaru of the health of food grocery junk stores too. if Lassen's is the uh Tesla I don't know sorry this is a bad analogy yeah <clears throat> um and then there are all these but it's just interesting here because like no one in New York is like I gotta go to D'Agostino or whatever it's called or no I gotta go to um what's that other terrible one I don't even think that Citarella no, that is okay. That That's one fine. has some like, um, what's that called? It's it's kind of sexy, but no, the one like associated or whatever. Right. But here, 
There's Ralph's and Vaughn's, and what's the other one? And I think Ralph's was kind of immortalized in Big Lebowski as like the cool big store. And uh, sure, I did not know that, but that sounds right. Um, then there's like Sprouts, which is like a Whole Foods meets a Ralph's. Mm-hmm. Then there's there's just so many grocery stores, and I feel like people talk about them a lot. The there's a is it Vons or Gelson's in Los Feliz has its own Instagram account that's super funny, or Ralph's Albertsons, one of them. I think. Albertsons, but yeah. maybe that's a joke. I don't know. No, it's real. You think so? Yeah, mm. but I I think it's real. Maybe maybe you're right. It feels real to me. But anyway, they all have, there are all these grocery stores and they all have like a personality and it's, it's just people talk about them all the time. I guess in most cities it's like that and maybe just not in New York, except there's Wegmans in New York now and Fairway yeah. had that, but I feel like it's amplified Fairway had here. a bit of cultiness yeah, to it in the early 2000s. Yeah. And I just feel like it's amplified here and the one... And then there are all these kind of small local neighborhood groceries that are more, if you live in New York, equivalent to like Foragers or yeah. Green Grape, two of our favorites from our past life, um, and Union, Union Market. Market. Mm. But there's this one here. The rotisserie programs here suck, but that's a different yeah. story. There's a lot of food he- that isn't here. Yeah. Like it's very hard to get, there's no equivalent. To Russ and Daughters or Shelsky's, Justa, owned by the Jelena Group, is like the closest thing, and it's yeah. not really. Yeah. It, but you can't go to like a deli and get, there's not like 25 different kinds of smoked salmon. You can go, there are Russian delis that have some stuff, but it's not, or Rus- like, Russian uh, grocery stores, but there's nothing like Russ and Daughters or no. Shelsky's. And Maybe it's, not in the world. Well, I think other, I don't know why. Where else would they have that? I've never seen that. I have no idea. But it's frustrating to me. Yeah. Um, But, you know, one of the reasons we picked this neighborhood when we decided to move out here, we had spent a lot of time out here over the years. And one of one of the big reasons was this very small grocery store called Cookbook, which has everything you really need. Like you don't really need to shop anywhere else. We do. We still shop at Whole Foods a lot. When Lauren says Cookbook is little... I need you to picture like a small bedroom or a large bathroom, and that is the size of the entire store. Granted, they have like a back area, which who knows how big that back area they is. They also have a, another. And then they have another storefront on the other side of the of the apartment building entrance that is their stock room slash refrigeration zone. Yeah, where customers are not allowed. But this is the smallest grocery store that I've ever frequented in the world. And there are always at least five people working, <laughs> which I don't understand how they well, can afford to pay off. Yeah. And that's why they, they, they only move, let uh, one to two people they in re- at a time. They're constantly restocking the store, but like two, <laughs> two broccolis at a time. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. But it's such a great we'll store. We'll never question the efficiency of the It's It's the so great. System. It's I love the greatest it. store. It's it's wonderful and it's I literally on the if you if we had to name five reasons why we moved to L.A., especially the east side of L.A., proximity to Cookbook is one. Yeah, of them. I mean we live within walking distance, which was important in the beginning because we weren't taking Ubers anywhere. Yeah. So one thing I would like to say is when we were in Cookbook once, someone who listens to this podcast was in there with us and she recognized our voices and came. This is probably two or three years ago. Yeah. Because we. That was fun. It came up to us and said, "Oh." Are you the needle in the mouse? And it was the only time anyone. Do you think that's why you like it so much? No, but no. it was a very special if you're still moment. Listening, thank you. you we moved to you LA. Touched. Email us. You, she was seemed really cool. She found yeah. out about us because we were mentioned in Fast Company. This oh, is yeah. probably four or five years ago. Yeah, we have been doing this show for a stupidly long time. Yeah. Um, uh, but so you so two or three months ago. So cookbook, we, we've been wondering. I mean, every time you go, there's at least four or five people outside waiting. For a while, they were only doing one person at a time. Now they're letting two. They have another location in Highland Park that has the exact same amount of stock but is much bigger, so they could let six people in at a time. 
Um, is it six now? Yeah, but it's Whoa. for a long time it was no couples, and now both locations are allowing couples. You sure, which I think it's only four people still. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, both locations are now allowing couples, which I am not okay with. It's very annoying to me. Yeah. If you go to cookbook and you go in with your significant other during this time, you're being selfish because right. you can only go in for ten minutes. Yeah. And and they really if there's no line and no sign of a fine. line. Fine, but the minute someone shows up to get yeah. in line, like get out of it. We there. have both been in there when there's been no line, and I see someone and I leave because it's yeah. just rude. It's super anyway, rude. Anyway, the point being that a couple. So we've been wondering, like they still have the most amazing produce. So fully stocked shelves. Their prepared foods program is the best prepared food program I've ever seen. I mean, Jelena, again, Justa is really good, but that's like more restaurant-y. This is stuff that we buy a bunch of their prepared foods and eat them for lunch every day, and you don't feel like you ate at a restaurant. You feel like someone cooked you a really like, beautiful Yeah, Harissa. super unique, like weird thing, like a lot of dips and, and so like... Good. Legume salads. And yeah, like what was the one you bought today? Today it was lentils with cauliflower. But it's so usually good. one of the things is like grilled and has a charred taste yeah. to it. It's delicious. That's like, there's two things that make cookbook amazing. One is, well, three actually. One is the produce quality is farmer's market plus. Like it's better yeah. than the stuff you would get at the farmer's market. You have market to pay more unless for it. You get there really early and, and know the, the right farmers. It's super excellent. Like, I actually went to the farmer's market today, and then I went to Cookbook, and I was like, shit, I wish I had waited and, and just bought this stuff at Cookbook. It's expensive. It's not cheap, but it isn't it's crazy. Not it's not crazy. Some of it's actually cheaper than Whole Foods, um, which is cheaper than... They have, a, they have a great cheese. Then there's drawer. the, like, refrigerator case. By the way, I'm, again, this whole store is the size of your bedroom. Now, it's smaller the other than your side, bedroom. It's smaller than your bedroom. The other side of it has refrigerated cases, and the prepared food that's available at Cookbook is unlike anywhere else in the world. There's no, like, big-ass tray of poorly grilled chicken breasts and, like, goopy egg salad and all this crap. It's, like, little uh, quart size or pint size containers with just very inventive stuff, like yeah. a piquillo pepper and pepita dip, which is like, I've never had that anywhere else. No. It's a red pepper and pumpkin seed dip. Delicious. Hummus. Really good. Although they changed the hummus, now it's even better. Um, I, I prefer the old hummus. I'm the sorry. Bean, there's these bean salads. There's <laughs> there's usually a, there's like a, a seasonal soup available. They have delicious gazpacho all summer. The last most oh, recent yeah. one was this autumn squash soup that was, Ooh, that was so sweetened good. with apples and so good. was too good. We had to stop buying it, basically. I mean, I, um, I think we should have kept buying it if they still have it. There's a French onion dip that just will blow your mind. It's like yogurt and mayo yeah. and everything. It's just Healthy so good. stuff. But then also there's like a uh, pimento cheese dip, which I saw today but did not buy. Huh. And, um, then, and then the third reason that cookbook is amazing is that every item has been very carefully chosen and curated from all over the world in a way that makes this operationally like probably the most chaotic chain or chain. Well, it is a chain of two, the most chaotic operation you can imagine because it's not like they call up uh, the evil distributors and say, give us, you know, 200 SKUs. There, a lot of these are like one-off relationships with like a vinegar maker or a lot of them are imported. Like they have these uh, Japanese imported Sauces, including uh, rice wine vinegar and plum vinegar and, and stuff that, like, you're not going to find at Whole Foods. You might even have a hard time finding it at, like, an Asian grocery store. It's just really amazing one-off stuff. Great rice. They have Anson Mills grains as well. They have Rancho, Rancho Gordo. Gordo Like, beans. all the stuff that you have in your specialty food store, except they just have everything, and you don't understand. They even have meat and fish. I mean, you yeah. went there the other night and they were out of fish, but like generally, if you go there and you need a kind of steak, like they'll have something kind of what you need. Yeah. They have sausages, they have, and all of this stuff is like the best quality thing. They make this Local, smoked trout for salads. Did you buy trout? that today? I did not. Oh, okay. Sorry. Should have told you to get it. But yeah, they didn't. make this smoked trout for salads. That's beautiful. Like everything is just so good. It's awesome. And it's wonderful. Why are we going on about this? Because 
grocery is really the last place for discovery. We haven't had to, we haven't had the experience of doing that. It's like the last kind of shopping that you go and you don't spend all your time on the internet. And you wrote a lot about this this year about more grocery moving direct to consumer or moving online because they had to because of the pandemic, but it is gonna change the face of it. And we kept wondering what was gonna happen, like how is cookbook surviving this? They don't do delivery. They are having one person, they used to have in that store, you could fit maybe six people. It was really annoying. Like there were times was, we walked by that we were like, like we're crowded not train level yeah. navigation, which was charming and a but little. So, I mean, we totally a walked by a couple times and we're like, we're too not going in there. There's too many people. <laughs> and this is way pre pandemic. Yeah. But it, I just was like, how are they? surviving i know that people love it and they they spend a lot of money there but it just seemed crazy so maybe you can talk about what happened and what you think it means about the state of grocery i mean what ended up happening is that they actually sold the, the store the founders um sold the store to john and Vinny, who are the uh, restaurant restaurant tours in los angeles uh john shook and Vinny Detolo. they are most famous Initially for their, well, first they had a very successful catering business, which I believe is still a thing um, when catering comes back. But they're probably most famous in the restaurant world for Animal, which was a very meat-forward, like very heavy bacon place in the mid-2000s era when um, like pornographic meat uh, main courses was cool and... Uh, you know, probably Bourdain would have loved this place. He probably did love it. Um, anyway, that then they have expanded. They are partners with other chefs. They um, they're kind of the the group behind Kismet, which is one of our favorite restaurants here. Um, from two Brooklyn chefs who moved out here to start it. They're the group behind uh, Chef Ludo, who's kind of famous French guy. Um, but also now they have their namesake restaurant, John and Vinny's. And which is like pizzas and pasta, it's like and super like, modern red sauce, Italian American, yeah. like modernized red sauce. And they ended up acquiring Cookbook, which was super fascinating. I actually interviewed them and wrote a story about it on my publication, The New Consumer, which many of you probably don't know I'm doing uh, because I haven't done the show in, in six months. Um, well, you've been doing it for almost two years, almost right? two years, yeah. Newconsumer.com, you can read all about. All of this. And if you go to newconsumer.com slash trends, there's even a whole free 102 slide deck that I made, largely about the future of grocery. Anyway, uh, we're talking about Cookbook because they were now acquired by a restaurant restaurant group. And it's really interesting to think of restaurants and grocery kind of combining at something that we that they that the most kind of uh, improvisational restaurants quickly pivoted to a grocery model in especially in New York and um, and here too I guess in the early days of, of lockdown some of them have stuck with it our old favorite in Brooklyn Hearts is now basically a full-time grocery store yeah um, they sent me I, I did an order and they don't have delivery either there yeah, so I did like an order and they sent me all the to send to a friend and they sent me all the photos and I was like oh it kind of reminds me of foragers yeah it was really cute and made me want all their special because they have all these specialty stuff too yeah it's some like chorizo stew that looked really amazing I think to me the most interesting thing is the 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 split that's going to happen between like the big tech companies like Amazon and Instacart where we're starting to, we did none of our grocery shopping online. There's also another article about this. We did none of our grocery shopping online. Then March 15th, all of our grocery shopping went online. And most of it goes to Amazon and Instacart, two big tech companies. Instacart, of course, works with local grocers or national chains to do the actual grocery part. Amazon, of course, owns Whole Foods. Um, and how do tiny little grocers like Cookbook kind of compete in that era? And I think that you know, and I've probably written about this three or four times, but basically, like, I think they compete by having the best curation and the best experience and the best services and and by creating an environment where you're going to go in there every time and discover something new and you're always going to be happy with the quality of what you get and it's not going to be the cheapest. Hopefully, this model will allow them, you know, and it, I think over time they will have to get online, at least to some degree, 
Um, John and Vinny's also has uh, taken down a couple of its other restaurants and turned them into little grocers as well. And they have online ordering for them just on a simple Shopify site, mostly for pickup. I don't know if they do any delivery. Doesn't. Yeah, they do. Del- we've had cool. Kismet do delivery yeah, yeah. for us. Yeah, yeah. Some of them, yeah, a bunch of them are doing delivery. So it's it's fascinating where things are going. I think that there's still a real opportunity for small grocers to stand out in a way that one of the probably the most interesting things of my interview with John and Vinny was like, I was like, man, every neighborhood deserves a cookbook. Could you could you scale this? Like, could there be a cookbook yeah. in every neighborhood? And they said that some of their suppliers are so small that even like 10 stores would be hard for them to get enough stuff from and then so then you have to order from either multiple suppliers a lot of this is probably produce but then you either have to order from multiple suppliers or like from a bigger farm and then the question is like is that the same product then are you are you still cookbook if you're selling the same stuff that then is sold at an air one or a whole foods and the answer is no so some of this stuff like works and is special because it's so small and there's going to be a tension there between scaling and quality and uniqueness and um i don't know i don't know where we're going with this but to me that's what's what's interesting and you should read all my articles at newconsumer.com because this is basically my life right now. yeah you write so well on it and I, I really enjoy talking about it with you and reading about it and it's interesting because it kind of parallels it's not the same because shopping for groceries is so different from shopping from clothes but a, a store in Brooklyn that that I really loved, and you probably bought me something from at some point over the years called Bird. It was like a chain. They also had one here in Los Angeles for a while, but they had four. The chainlet. It's kind of the cookbook of of apparel stores. Sure, yeah, and it was very important when I moved to Carroll Gardens in two thousand seven. One of the reasons I moved there was when I got off the train, I saw this cute store that had like Isabel Marant and all these cool brands that I couldn't afford. But I thought, oh, if that's here, then this must be a fun neighborhood. And I've told Jen, the Jen Mangans, the owner, that, and actually realized I had written that in a story like when during their tenth birth, tenth anniversary, I want to mm. say, which was there. They've been around for twenty years now, so it was a long time ago that I wrote that. It was, you know, it was Jen's 10 year, because she's been there for 17 years. She bought the store from someone else, and it was her 10 year anniversary. So it was seven years ago that I wrote that piece. But but anyway, she and I talked on, I think, Thursday. They ended up closing because, you know, apparel retail is, especially wholesale, multi-brand retail is impossible, especially... I mean, it's a combination of a bunch of things, but just think about it this way. You have all these different clients slash vendors, brands that sell to you. Half of them don't pay you on time or never pay you at all. You're waiting on that money. When you sell clothes, you're competing against, like Jen, for instance, was competing against Saks Fifth Avenue, who sold more and more of her brands as they became bigger online. And they would start their sales in October, and Jen doesn't start hers until after Christmas. And so people would shop at... Saks Fifth Avenue or the brands themselves because the the discounts were cheaper and but one thing Jen said to me that I thought was interesting that does really relate more closely to grocery so that's a whole apparel retail is in a huge mess but what she said was she's like I really just think that you can either be the biggest or the tiniest she she still believes in kind of the mom and pop but having four or five stores it was just too much and I think she she thought about she thought about going down to one because she did have she actually had pretty good real estate situations, especially in two of her her last locations. And her her landlords were really great. She didn't have those issues that a lot of other stores and restaurants and grocers have had. And the rent on her one store was actually very like the guy just wanted her to stay but she just realized she's been doing that for a long time and she was ready to move on but she did say she thinks if you are really 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 small you might be able to make it through because people enough people care about that yeah. they want that special experience but if you have 10 stores and you're competing against someone who has 
it's not even the number of stores. It's just the like access to capital and cash. Mm. And I think you're seeing this. It's a different with, game. Yeah, with a lot of department stores closing because of Amazon and the bigger luxury players online and it, and other reasons too. But it is, I think, we are entering a world where it's going to be tiny, tiny and big, big and more and more. I mean, that's our whole... Yeah, the, our cra- whole, the cratering middle class of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is about that. And I think yeah. it's just going to be even a million times. And I do think post this, we're going to see a ton of new little stores open because yeah. rents are going to be low and people are going to suddenly have... And they're they are going to have access to capital and and there's still creative people who want to yeah. make something cool. So it's going to be fun. Like there's a new grocer opening in Atwater Village. Yeah. I, I was there dropping something off at the UPS store today. It's called wine is it wine and eggs? Yeah. Wine and egg shop, yeah. It's so it looks great and I'm sure amazing. we'll go there opening all the time. In 10 days. Yeah. But and there will be enough people and and the thing was just hearing Jen talk about how successful Bird was so quickly mm. when she got there. And she opened, she said she there was a store in Park Slope, and then she opened one, a new one, like a year and a half later in Carroll Gardens, the one that I I loved. And she said it was a hit from the beginning. Yeah. But it's gotten harder and harder to be profitable. And so I think that that's also, and maybe grocery will have to think about this 10 years from now, but in in apparel, the question is like if wholesale doesn't really work because of a million different reasons your your brands are your direct to comp- direct competitor like a brand can afford a higher rent because they get way more money from a sale of a piece of clothing you know when you're selling something direct you make way more money on it um i think that multi-brand retail and apparel just needs to rethink what model they use and i i could see i mean Grocery is so different, and it's it's a necessity. It's not a nice to have or what have you. But I do think that looking at different business models of how to run retail is going to be a big a big thing for the next ten years. Yeah, yeah, and so much so much of it relies on this idea of experience and community, which are two things that like we can't really do right now because of the pandemic and like the reluctance of I mean even once people are vaccinated I think there's still gonna be some reluctance to be like super densely packed in with people so yeah anyway hopefully the folks who hopefully people can survive this and if not we're excited about what comes next but it's still unpleasant it's it's just sad seeing brands and and stores and you know, more importantly, the people who work there, like having tough times when, and we'll always have the happy memories of me sitting in the, in the great stool or the, the little bench in yeah. Bird with Ralphie while, oh, yeah. while you shop, or even they had a cute little dog that belonged to the store, oh, yeah. or like someone who worked there yeah. um, before Ralphie existed. But um, anyway, it's sad. Yeah, it's really sad, but... R.I.P. Bird. You can yeah. read Lauren's article at Business of Fashion about the closure of Bird. You you can that's true. Please but subscribe. I, I do. I, please subscribe to both of our websites so yes. that we can continue to exist to eat. Um, but yeah, it's it is sad. I mean, I also think all good things must come to an end. And Jen is a super creative person, and whatever she does next will be cool and interesting. And sometimes stores should just close. Like yeah, their time is up, and it's time for them to go. Especially I think, if you don't want to deal with running it. Like yeah, and if the person who owned it and made it so special leaves then it's that's when I think unless someone else really interesting comes in it just usually doesn't work so which is probably our concern for cookbook too now the founders have moved on yeah Yeah. we'll see yeah and yeah fingers crossed it I think you know we both really like a lot of the John and Vinny restaurants and they're interesting guys who I think have good intentions so hopefully yeah, they'll be able to make it work, but you just never know. Also, they were present at what we've determined is the greatest uh, <laughs> dinner in cook in, in Top, Top Chef, Chef history. Yeah, and they were a huge reason for it. I think yeah. every person at that dinner was extremely drunk. One thing we did this year that, or last year, I guess, that we didn't expect to do was watch like twelve seasons of Top Chef yeah. for the first time. 
It was really fun. It's it a very fun. good show. It was, it was the show we needed. Yeah, it was fantastic. And that that dinner, there was a dinner where they were judges, and they everyone was just very drunk very and drunk. like making funny. Is that jokes. where Bourdain was at that dinner too? No, I no. don't think so. There was another th- episode where they were all drunk. Yeah. But it's just very funny. I love it. It's a great show. It was we're fun. We're really into it. We follow all the, the top chef people now. It's very yeah. funny. Um, the yeah. one other Shout thing. Shout out to Joe Flam. Yeah, we really, you know, Joe Flam does a, it does a barbecue delivery service here and you can pick here? it up. Yeah, in Griffith Park. What? Yeah, he's somehow associated with it. But I, Whoa. Maybe he moved to SF or something. He's also no, he's in up Chicago. There. Oh no, I'm thinking of Joe Sasto. Oh yeah. Sorry, they were in the same group. Same group. Oh, we really yeah. like Joe Flam. Yeah. yeah. There were so many great people. Mm-hmm. I love I love restaurant personalities. Way more fun than actual celebrities. Agree. Anyway. Okay. Uh, what other topics do you have for us? Well, we could talk about the ordering, but I don't really want to. Another time. Okay. The thing I do want to talk about, because it's getting late, I wanted to do a gift guide to gift guides, which is too late, but I oh, think yeah. this is a topic to talk about. So we, I used to work in a magazine called Lucky, which was called the magazine about shopping, which was basically modeled after those Japanese MOOCs, are they called? Magazine books of that are just basically magazines of product. Like you can get one for a brand or what have you. And the idea for it, it's, it was around for I think 12 or 13 years or so, was it was just really, really good copy and all about like what you should buy for women's clothing or what have you. I was not a good person to work there because I like doing reporting. I don't really like writing copy. And I, I just, I was a much better consumer of Lucky but I loved it because the copy was really smart and well-written and the people who worked there were really nice and smart and interesting and cool. And I found so many amazing things. It was one of my favorite magazines. It just wasn't the right place for me as a writer because I like writing. I'm a business reporter or what have you. All that being said, they were doing this for like 15 years. They never figured out online. And also, the rest of the magazine industry, the publishing industry, really looked down on Lucky because it was basically a glorified catalog. Which was so ahead of its time in the e-com. So this I don't want to wanna... steal your... This is go what ahead. I, this is what I want to talk about. I don't know about. what you want to say, so go ahead. Yeah. So in the past couple of years, first, I'd say Wirecutter, the recommendation tool that was sold to the New York Times, these really smartly reported. You, I mean, do you want to talk about what the wire cutter is really no, no. quickly? Just want to say hi to Brian Lamb. Yeah, I mean, what Brian created was amazing. It's like the smartly reported consumer reports. New York Times bought it, whatever. Now there's some wire cutter backlash. I, I see like elitist people being like, wire cutter recommendations aren't good enough for me, that type of thing. But it started this whole thing. New York Magazine had their kind of shopping section called The Strategist. They blew that out online and made that like wire cutter for cool things. Like wire cutter is if you need a humidifier. Strategist is if you need like an outfit for your boyfriend's. 12 cool natural deodorants. Yeah, exactly. So what these companies realized, how Wirecutter makes most of its money and Strategist too is through affiliate links where... Do you want to explain what that is quickly? It's hard for me. Yeah, it means that when you buy something through their site, well, if you click a link to Amazon or Best Buy or whatever, Walmart, through their site, they get a commission anywhere from 1% to 20%, depending on the merchant. So a lot of influencers and bloggers, et cetera. No, it's it's exactly between 1% and 20%. And 25%, if you're like a fancy blogger or something, you might get. So... A lot of bloggers and influencers, that's how they've made a majority of their money too. I'd say probably 10 years ago, but really four or five, a lot of traditional publishers, first the glossy magazines, then the like general publishers like New York Mag, New, I want New Yorker wouldn't do this, but a lot of other big like general interest magazines type places realized, oh, this is a really good revenue stream. It's steady. It's kind of you make money in your sleep type thing. So they started doing affiliate links. New York Times, like generally you could think that this is an unethical thing. You're making money off of recommendations. So you are compelled to 
point to the website that has the highest commission. So if like something's sold on two different websites, you'll put it on the website that has the highest commission. So is that ethical? That's another question. But New York Times bought the wire cutter. cutter. Congratulations to Brian and his, co his friends. But um, <laughs> well, the point being that like all of these magazine editors now and writers have made a sport and a part of their job in recommend recommending things. Like gift guides used to kind of be especially at Glossy Magazines, a mix of like advertiser crap and like half-assed, let's just put together a guide. Now, this is a skill that all these people who 15 years ago would not have worked at Lucky are like, I am the best at this and I, you should listen to me. Claire and Eric are friends who we talk about a lot on this podcast, have their own newsletter and podcast. Erica actually worked at Lucky and they are probably, to me, the best at this because they are really good at finding specific things that you haven't seen anywhere else. And they also are very careful about price. Like, of course, they have, quote unquote, high end taste or whatever. But most of the things that they recommend are usually like under 100 bucks, maybe under 200 for gifts and things like that. And they did an incredible two part series on their podcast where they answered very specific questions like my 12 year old nephew who is really into D&D &D or whatever like stuff like that of what should I get but this year I just noticed it just blew up like not only yeah. were there a million writers who work at magazines publishing their own newsletters there's a writer named Lane Florsheim who published a gift she works at the Wall Street Journal she published a gift guide that was really, really good. She published it in a two-part series before the holidays. But, like, so many people. John Januzzi, our friend who works at Bonobos, he published on his Instagram. He also used to work at Lucky with me. A whole gift guide thing. It was, like, every single person. And what I wanted to do originally was go through and tell you the a ones I guide, thought were the best. Guides? Yes. Yeah. We can't do that because... Holidays are over? Yeah, but what I would say is a lot of these people, are. if you just need gifts, they're really good people to just follow. Yeah. A lot of a lot of it is bullshit, but the people that I have... Right, and there was even... There was gift guide backlash like four or five years ago. Like I remember... Or not, yeah, like, yes. I remember being in meetings where they were like, all right, what's your gift guide plan? And I was like, No. Yeah. We're a tech business site. We're not going to have a gift guide. Um, anyway, uh, whatever. We are. Now, I think we're post backlash. Now yeah. it's just fuck it. Everyone's got a gift guide. Yeah. And, it, and, I, and I it's didn't a, make, I, I haven't made one, but I should. It's a real sport. Yeah. It's like if you can do this and it's very hard. I love finding very particular gifts. I get you extremely nice gifts. Very thoughtful. Very thoughtful. But. I've had to do these, and I think I, I like have a good knowledge base, probably more than most people. I'm not good at it. And we are very lucky that we have a lot of friends who we just message directly about this kind of stuff. Like most of your gifts, I talk to people we know who are editors or whatever, or you know, just people who work in the people industry. People who live in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> and One day I gotta make those onigiri. Yeah. Well, you know what? They Lauren didn't really me help me. Very cute. I Onigiri got him an Onigiri set. kit. Thank you. But our friend Michael, who has his own newsletter and podcast, I needed a shoehorn for you. And I asked people who work at Off Duty. They gave me some suggestions. And then I asked Michael. And of course, he knew the exact one I bought it. And it's amazing. And he did not do a gift guide. He, use it he every wrote day. a whole thing about how he didn't want to do, do one. Yeah. I don't know why. But, um, because he was sick of consuming or whatever. But, you know, the point being that there are people who are really good at this. And I do have a very strong opinion about who you should follow if you just want recommendations of the best stuff. And so Claire and Erica, I think it's claireanderica.com are number one. The other, the other publication, and you don't need to, like, follow a newsletter or whatever. You don't need to, like, subscribe to some random thing that I think does a very good job is off-duty at the Wall Street Journal. And I was a freelance, when I was a freelance writer, I wrote for them a ton. But it's, 
the Rory, Becky, and Jacob, who are the fashion editors there, Rory and Becky, Rory kind of runs that section, and then Becky and Jacob are also, like, very senior-level fashion editors. Jacob does men's, Becky does women's. They are the kind of people, like, I just text and ask them, and they know exactly what I need. And I also think the recommendations they put in the paper or on the website or whatever are 100% worth it. They just have really interesting taste, and it's not going to be the stuff that you see everywhere else like it's just cool they I think that they're super super good at it and I highly recommend if you don't want to get a subscription to the Saturday journal for whatever reason at least read it online because I love what they do and I think they're doing the work for you in a way that like no other magazine fashion magazine editors are I just think it's a hundred percent better than anyone else what anyone else is doing the other place I would say is Gossamer has Mm. a really really good recommendations newsletter that comes out like every weekend that the two founders do it's not all products but I just think their recommendations are really interesting and not yeah they're interesting people and so I would say that. And then, you know, our friend Chris Black used to do a strategist column. I don't know if he does it full, like he does it uh, on the regular anymore. But when he does do recommendations, he is really, really get good at it. Yeah. He uh, is another person who has like a wide breadth. He doesn't just pick the thing he would want. He knows. Yeah. He's very, very Former good guest at it. on the show. Yeah. Yes. And you most been, of these people have been guests yeah. on the show. So and back then when we had guests, the two apartments and ago. the cat beauty one is okay. C A P cat beauty. Yeah, I do like it. They do promote a lot of their own stuff, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a little bit too much. I understand why they do it, but it's a little much. But at the same time, I did enjoy their gift guides, and thought they were fun, and did get ideas from them. Mostly stuff for myself. The one final thing is there's a design newsletter called Sight Unseen. Oh yeah, that's and good. they. Do, do amazing gift guides every year. And I went through and like found a bunch of cool stuff from them from the last five years. And with design stuff, that stuff is around for longer. So you can look back a few years and you can still get the same things. Mm. The point being that if you are a person who's interested in finding out about new products and you need to discover a way to discover them because you can't go to stores, there are a lot of very smart people who yeah, are really into it. There's a lot really of curation happening it. right now. Yeah. It's fascinating. Only to me. slightly uh, influenced by affiliate rates. Yeah, I mean, I don't thi- <laughs> I think. I think a lot a of them. There's a dirty side to it, which maybe we can get into another time. We yeah, and, do some reporting. And but I don't think. I mean, good example is I. There, I I've been doing a lot of research for very particular kinds of products right now. Yeah. And if you need something like a special kind of pillow, it's basically impossible to find one. Because all of the recommendations are utter bullshit. It's like that total, story that Jason wrote for Recode on the mattress yeah, recommendation. Which is the dumbest thing we did last year was buy a mattress. It was it was hours and hours of unsatisfying, you can't dissatisfying research. There are no trustworthy brands in editorial or anything the actual mattress brands say. None of it makes any sense. I'm not happy with the mattress we bought, even though we probably bought the best one we could have. We should have just kept our old mattress. Yeah, I mean it's fine. It's fine, but I'm not, I'm not pleased. Anyway, anyway so I just wanted to bring that up. It's really, show, it's really fascinating. It's almost an hour, so yeah, and I have to stop. make dinner. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been the needle me. in the mouse. We'll try to do this again before spring. Mm-hmm. You can always reach us at Needle and Mouse on Twitter. Is that what it is? I think so. Or email us at hello at theneedleandthemouse.com. Uh, old episodes are available on our website. If you have uh, some weird desire to go back and listen to us talk about Blue Bottle, J. Crew, and the Apple Watch hundreds of times, uh, go to newconsumer.com and subscribe. Please, you can check out the free trends report that I just published at newconsumer.com slash trends. It's great. Thank you. It's really good. I spent a lot of time on it. I'm very proud of it. Um, And people like it. If you're into this stuff, 
consider joining as a member. That'd be awesome. And otherwise, just uh, stay tuned for more podcasting someday. Thank you, Alan Lawrence, for the theme music. I wish I could go visit you in Japan, but I'm not allowed in the country right now because of the virus. Thank you, Alan. And also, if anyone has any ideas for podcasts, for topics... Topic requests. We are happy to oblige. Always happy to talk about whatever you want to listen to. We have... Lauren has a long list of topics. Um, We'll be back with more of the needle in the mouse someday in the future. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye.